So let's listen to God's words. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the death who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. These are God's words to us. Now, have you ever thought that living for Christ was a little bit like abseiling? No? Uh, probably not. Well, let me, let me explain. Um, as a kid, I went on uh, kind of a summer camp, and uh, we got to go abseiling. If you're not sure what that is, rather than climbing up a cliff, uh, you're going down the cliff. And th- there's this crazy moment at the beginning uh, when you're on top of the cliff, and you start to take steps backwards, and then you kind of go off, off the edge of the cliff. And it is a terrifying moment if you've never done it. There is nothing beneath you. Literally, there's nothing. It just drops. And you've got to lean back and put your full weight into your harness and into the rope. And you, you, you know, you look over, the sweat is kind of pouring down your face. Your heart is, is racing. And the instructor calmly says, oh, trust the rope. Trust the rope. It's crazy. And slowly, you lower yourself over the edge. And suddenly, you realize you're safe. You're in the harness. Your, your weight is held. Phew. You know, it's what a moment. 
And following Christ, sometimes it can feel like we're stepping off a bit of a cliff edge. I don't know whether it was following him in the first place, whether it's telling your mum you've become a Christian, whether it was making a a stand when a, a, a colleague has a go at another Christian. And Christ is saying, he says, trust me, trust me, I've got you. And Revelation 20 is a little bit like a video showing you how tough and the harness is. It's showing you how secure Christ is. Even though it can feel sometimes like a step over a cliff, Christ has got us. And when we get into it, just, just see how much he has. Now we saw last week, we are circling the downfall of all those who are against the people of God, against God and against his people. Chapters 17 and 18, if you remember, was the end for Babylon. The, the world's rulers kind of drunk on their own power and luxury. Then last week, if you were here in chapter 19, we saw the end of the beast and the prophet, those, those demonic powers of state and false religion, ruined by the coming of Christ. Remember, ruined by truth coming. And here in chapter 20, we circle once more and we see the final downfall of... Actually, I'm not going to ruin the surprise. We'll come to it. Now, this is a passage all about a moment of a thousand years. And then what happens when those years come to an end? You may have spotted a thousand years coming up a number of times. It was mentioned in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7. And the passage is split into two. Verses 1 to 6, we see what goes on in the thousand years. Uh, and, um, and then we see in verses 7 to 15 what happens uh, when the thousand years come to an end. You can see it marked there at the beginning of verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended. Now, a vital question for us to answer is when is this thousand years? Are we in it or is it to come? Now, in some circles, this is a phenomenally contentious question, but let me try and just answer it briefly so we don't get too uh, bogged down in it. Briefly, the answer is this. The thousand years is now. It's this time period between Jesus' death and resurrection at one end and when he comes back um, at the other. As we know, numbers in Revelation are are symbolic and no differently here. So a thousand years, it's not a literal thousand years. It means a long time. We've seen the the number thousand used before. Now some would say, no, 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 Jesus must return before the thousand years. Just look, he returned in chapter 19. That's what we saw uh, last week. um, And then you get the millennium in chapter 20. But to answer that, it's important to see that the battle in chapter 20, do you remember there's a battle in verses 7, 8, and 9? That battle is actually the same that has appeared before in Revelation. In chapter 16, we saw that the forces of God were gathered together for battle. Then in chapter 19, um, verse 19, it says, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and his army. And then again in, verse, in chapter 20, verse 8, and Satan will come out to deceive the nations and the, that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to do what? To gather them for battle. It's the same language. So no, it's all the same battle. So the end of chapter 19 is actually at the same time as the end of chapter 20. It's just a different angle. As I said, we're, we're kind of circling this moment. 
Others will say to us, no, 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 the millennium is actually a special time at the end of, uh, um, a special time in the church that's sometime after Jesus' death and resurrection. A special time of growth. But as we'll see, I think there are better ways of explaining what Christ is up to in chapter 20. And also the rest of the New Testament instead seems to suggest things might even get worse. Jesus himself said there'll be a great tribulation before the end. So for some of you, that was quite a lengthy explanation. For some of you, that was a phenomenally brief explanation of what's going on. Um, but But the key thing is we are in the thousand years now. We're in it. And what I want us to see is this, okay? Firstly, Jesus has got the present in hand. Jesus has got the present in hand. Just have a look at verses 1 to 3 with me of chapter 20. Because it's about the devil himself has been bound. Verse 2. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit. What vision this is. The devil, the accuser, the liar, as Jesus said, the murderous one, he's bound up by a giant chain, he's held down, he's thrown in a pit, and he's shut in it. Now now you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound right. We've seen in Revelation already that the devil is attacking the church through the beast and the false prophet. We know elsewhere in Scripture that the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. Well, how does, how does this work? Well, what we're getting here, excuse me, what we're getting here is a different view of things. It's, it's a bit like the now and not yet we see elsewhere in Scripture. The fact that, you know, we, we, we've been risen with Jesus and yet we're not fully risen. We know that we're holy and yet that we're called to be holy. There's a now and not yet. And it's the same here. We're seeing that the devil is defeated, he's been bound up, thrown in a pit, and yet we know he's not fully defeated. The devil is bound and yet not fully destroyed. So what does it mean that he's been bound? Well, listen to Colossians 2, because here I think Paul is showing us what it means. Paul has been saying that in, in Colossians that God has got rid of all our sin, he's, got, he's forgiven us by getting rid of the debt that stood against us. Well, how did God do that? Well, listen, how do you get rid of the debt? Paul says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, in verse 15, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you hear that? The cross disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, that's Paul's phrase for the devil and his demons, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The devil is bound by Christ's victory on the cross. Now, this isn't new in Revelation. We saw this back in chapter 12. Christ's death destroyed sin and its consequences. And that means the devil has lost his chief weapon, accusation. He's called the accuser. He can no longer accuse people before God that they deserve death. Now, as Paul says in Romans this time, who can bring charge against God's elect? Who, can, who is to condemn? The answer is no one. No one is con- to condemn, not even the devil. The devil's power has been ripped away from him by the cross. As Christ died, the dragon was thrown down in disgrace with a gr- giant chain wrapped around him, 
a pit enclosed him and the lid slammed shut on him. That is the power of the cross. As we take communion later in the, in the service, that is the death we're proclaiming. This death of triumph. If you're someone uh, this morning who, who's perhaps worried by the power of the devil in this world, see this vision. He is bound, shut up, triumphed over, humiliated by the cross of Christ. And so, verse 3, that means he might not deceive the nations any longer. In other words, the gospel can get out, bringing truth and salvation. Salvation can come to the nations. Jesus has got the present in hand. But John doesn't stop there, because he knows that those reading this might be experiencing persecution and might even face death itself. It seems as if the devil does still have a weapon, the threat of death might still turn people away from Jesus. But what happens during these a thousand years? Have a look at the end of verse 4. So those who've been beheaded, that's executed by the Romans or, or, or suffered for Christ, what happens to them? They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is called a first resurrection. Did you notice that language? What that means is it's a spiritual life. Even though they've died and await Jesus' final return, they are with him. As Jesus said to the thief on the cross, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. They're with him, reigning with him. And although it's not the full resurrection, I suppose that would be called the second resurrection, they're glimpsing it. They're being priests and kings like they'll be at the end. As Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death has lost its sting. Dead believers will reign with Jesus. Isn't this amazing? Even as we face the last enemy, death, Jesus says, hold on. Even if you die, you'll be with me. What a picture to be with Jesus Christ, wearing a crown he won, looking out over a world he's transforming by his spirit. No wonder it says, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. It's like the, the devil and his minions have been kind of de-weaponized. Like a criminal being arrested, his guns and his knives have been taken away. The devil's bound. Death itself has lost its sting. Jesus has got the present in hand. But not only has he got the present in hand, he's got the future sorted. He's got the future sorted. Verses 7 to 10, we get this final battle that we've seen before. The devil is released and rounds up his followers. Now, Gog and Magog is um, uh, from the book of Ezekiel. And they represent the, the, the final enemies of God's uh, people. And this is a mighty army. Did you notice that? Their, their number is like the sand of the sea. This is as strong as the devil gets, it seems. He is murderous, he's angry, and set on destroying God's people. If he's going to win, this is the moment. This is it. The gloves are off, in a sense. He's not going to hold back. There will be one final battle. The earthly and spiritual rulers and powers will come to wipe God's people off the face of the earth. It's like the forces of Mordor have been finally released. This is the devil's ultimate moment. 
And yet, verse 9, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur along with the beast and the false prophet. God ends it. The victory is swift and decisive. This is the end of the forces of evil. But the, the devil never, he never gets another mention in the book of Revelation. Don't get caught up with those popular visions of hell where the devil seems to be enjoying it and he's kind of in charge of hell. Okay, that, that, not at all. He will face the ultimate wrath of God. Jesus has got the future sorted. And not only is the devil finally dealt with, but also the final enemy, death itself. The final weapon of the devil. Verse 12, a book of life is opened. Isn't that amazing? A book of life. People will have life. Those found in Christ. And then in verse 13, death releases all who are in him. And then, verse 14, do you see? Death itself, death and Hades is thrown into the fire. Death burns up, death dies. This is amazing. After this moment, there is no more death. Just imagine it. No fear, no loss, no mourning, no separation of life from life and goodness, from the good world God has made. Death. You, you may be scared of death this morning. There is something dark about it, isn't there? But may this put your anxious fears to bed. Death does not have the final say. It will not. Now with those last verses, there's a, another sobering reminder that the destruction of God's enemies includes people. Verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Everyone will be judged. Uh, the end of the devil and death itself takes people with them. People who rejected God, whether openly or secretly, and they receive actually their final wish. Shut out from forever from the goodness of God from which they shut themselves out from while living. It's sobering, isn't it? But this is the future, the end of the devil and the end of death. And actually, all of this is good news. All that is wicked, all that has ever loved lies, all that was, was cursed by God back in Genesis 3, it all comes to its rightful end. Although stark, this is a wonderful picture we can't get to Revelation 21 without Revelation 20. We can't have the new creation, the glorious supper of the Lamb, without the final defeat of death and the devil and the enemies of God. It's like in fairy tales, that the brave knight riding on his white horse must slay the dragon to win the bride. Jesus has got the future sorted. He's got the present in hand. And he's got the future sorted. And so, and so may this good news of Jesus Christ, this risen Jesus, reverberate around the world. Or to put it another way, perhaps more memorably, the devil is bound, so let the gospel resound. The devil is bound, so let the gospel resound. 
Since Christ's victory is secure, since the devil is bound and will finally be destroyed, and and since death cannot touch his people, either now or in the future, it means this is the moment for the gospel. This is the moment for the gospel of grace, of forgiveness, by faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the moment for it to get out there, to get to the nations from Afghanistan to Angola, from Italy to Indonesia. It even came to us all the way out here on a little crop of rock miles away from where it began. Will you be part of it? Will I? Will we seize this moment and join in with what Christ is doing? He's building his church. The salvation of the nations is one of those great Old Testament um, promises that is rumbled like a distant thunder under the book of Revelation. Chapter 5, we saw Christ died for people from where? From every tribe and language and people and nation. In chapter 15, those saved were singing, For you alone are holy, all nations will come and worship you. And right now, right now in this time of a thousand years, the devil is bound so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Verse 3. Christ has bound the devil so that the nations can come in. So that his gospel might save many. We don't save ourselves. Christ saves. Have you ever considered taking the gospel to another nation? Have you ever thought of proclaiming the news that the Lamb wins to a people group that have never heard it before? Now, it's a path marked with suffering It's a blood-stained path. As John Piper has said when writing about reaching the nations, our suffering becomes an extension and presentation of Christ's sufferings for those for whom he died. Suffering is not an accidental result of obedience. It's an ordained means of penetrating the peoples and the hearts of the lost. But here in Revelation 20, we see that death, Not even death has the final say because the martyrs will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And then death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. It does not have the final say and this means we can be bold. We can be bold like the missionaries of old who've gone before us. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It extends God's kingdom and fights back the kingdom of the dragon. As Martin Luther said, the devil fears the word of God. He can't bite it. It breaks his teeth. The devil is bound, so let the gospel resound. Consider taking the gospel to the nations. And consider taking it to your neighbor. All will be judged on that final day. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Just think, this week, this month, you could share the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins, I don't know, with a friend from school, with your next door neighbor, your elderly granny. And and that person might come from death to life might go from the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. What a privilege that would be. The devil is bound, so let the gospel resound. 
And this means that in our small decisions and in our big ones, it can, following Jesus feels like it involves taking risks, doesn't it? And from our perspective, they are risks. You know, heading to another country, like some guys I studied with, uh, Peter and his family have headed to France. Alex and Susanna with their family have gone to Senegal. Uh, Graham and Becky are in Moldova. And to move is a risk. What about schooling? What about language learning? What about disease? What about hospitals? What about persecution? But Revelation gives us a bigger picture. Christ has the present in hand and the future is sorted. Yes, a risk, but in another sense, it's as safe as houses. It's like seeing how tough the rope and the harness are when you abseil. As we, as we take the Lord's Supper in a moment, Christ is showing us how secure his promises to you and, and me are. He's sealed them with his own flesh and blood. So perhaps we start with small steps this week. We pray, we read scripture, we love, and we love enough to hold out the words of life to those around us. Even if things might turn nasty, the devil is bound. So let's... Amen.